Welcome back to the Two Marks and a Spark Wrestling Podcast, brought to you by ExpressVPN. More on that in a minute. Uh, this is an interview that was originally scheduled for the triple interview week next week, but I just finished recording it as you're hearing this, and oh boy, <laughs> this interview is my favorite that I've done so far and I and I love every interview that we've done to this point. Um I love Kenny Bolin. I love you know the ones you haven't heard yet. Kennedy Phillips who's going to be on the show Monday. I recorded it but it's not going up until Monday. I love all the interviews I've done. The interview I did yesterday that I haven't announced yet. But this one I it it's special to me. Uh and I wanted you to hear it as soon as possible. And um, it's Nikita Bresnikov, and we just have an awesome conversation for a little over an hour. And I had a blast, and I hope you have as much fun listening to it as I did conducting the interview. But let's talk about our sponsor for a minute, ExpressVPN. Uh, they've been great to me. They continue to be great to us. Go to expressvpn.com spark to get three free months when you sign up for the 12-month package. That's 15 months of the best VPN on the internet. Now, without further ado, probably my favorite show I've done without Bryce because those are those are special to me in a different kind of way. But here's my interview with Nikita Bresnikov. I love this. Please enjoy it. I love doing it. And I hope you have as much fun listening to it as I did recording it. So here it is, me and Nikita Bresnikov. Enjoy. All right, I'm here with a guy who probably should be in the Hall of Fame, and he is in quite a few, including my own personal Hall of Fame, uh, Nikita Bresnikov, a guy who has been everywhere, done everything, and I don't say that lightly. You heard it in the intro. 30 years as a Baltimore police officer, the guy's no joke. And I don't know how many years as a wrestler. I think we're going to find out. He was in a movie called The Wrestler. He's got a book out right now called When It Was Real by Nikita Bresnikov and Scott Leary. And here he is. Nikita, thank you so much for being here. We were talking a little bit before the show, but thank you for being here. That's a humbling introduction, Ben. I thank you. I got to make a couple of corrections. Scott Teal. Oh, I'm the, sorry. That's right. Because the great Scott Teal, because Scott's got over 200 publications. Man, at just about anybody that's anything from Ole Anderson all the way I – mean, Books galore. And Scott is a very good, humble guy. He, he's a good guest you should talk to. I did 27 years with police departments at Baltimore. A lot of people ask why I didn't stay for 30. And it's like, you know what? Uh, it probably would have made like a 35 to $40 a month difference. It wasn't worth what I saw happening. I left, not recently, I left in 2006. So it was like, uh, you know what, let the politicians and the lawyers that make the big pay and all the people that have the answers, let them go into the neighborhoods and they can do the job. Then come back and tell me how it worked out. So I, I packed in and that was it. Wrestling wise, I've been at it for ooh, 25, 27 years. I'm not done. I'm not done yet. Uh, I'm hoping to do more things, but you're as all young as you feel in your in your mind and in your you keep yourself in good shape, which I do. I eat like a dog, so believe me. And I'm not anybody that's gonna give you health tips because I eat hot dogs, cheeseburgers, pizza, all that bullshit garbage. 
but I still work out all the time. And because if I didn't stretch every day, I probably couldn't get out of the bed, but it's your mindset. I look at people, even let's go back to the police department and I see pictures of them and it's like, what the hell? We're the same age. It looks like you got dropped out of an airplane. What the hell happened to you? People just, you know, they fold in kind of like a tent, you know, they fold in and then it's like, you just roll them up and throw them in the garbage. And it's like, you can't let that happen to yourself. You've got to keep your mind sharp. And I'm no genius. That's why. Thanks for the intro on the book, because that was a, a passion project without a doubt. And we'll, we'll get into that. But if you looked at my school picture, and when I say school picture, it wasn't just high school, but the grade school, we, we all were in the same school from kindergarten to eighth grade. If you looked at it and say, okay, who here do you think would have had written a book and had it published, uh, published out in the mainstream world? They say, not that goof. You know, they say, yeah, maybe wrestling and acting because he's a goof, but scholar, like, no, nah, hell no, man. It's the, it, I have the same thing because I've wrote short stories. That's what I did before this is I was writing short stories. And I'm trying to get back into that now because I realized it's very creatively fulfilling. And uh, I got out of it because I was like, well, you know, I'm not getting anywhere with this. I need to do something a little bit more. Short stories are, they've got their niche today, believe me. Oh, they're more, th they're more a thing now than when I was doing them. You know what? I think it's probably more appreciated. And again, like with my book, even though it's as big as it is, it was almost twice its size. And like Scott Peel said, it's too long. we got to trim it down. Cause, and Nikolai used to say this about wrestling itself or just about anything. If you make things too long, people lose interest and then they want to go do something else. So, shorter is better like in acting they say less is better i i haven't gotten the opportunity to read your book yet i'm about to order one like i was i literally have the page open above me right now on my second monitor i'm about to order one um because i do want to read it and i also have i don't know if you've heard of the book called nitro by guy evans uh it's a story of the rise and the fall of wcw uh, Ooh, i'd like to read that it's i have it's a thick book, though. Like, I can send you a picture of it after we're done. It is. It's a big book. Not to kill his book, but I'll give, you the I'll give it to you in a couple of sentences. Ted Turner didn't pay attention. If Ted Turner had put emphasis on that project and that investment, Vince McMahon wouldn't be in business today. And I they think there's a lot of people believe that, that believe that. Oh, it's the truth. But Vince... You know, I'm not a big fan of what's going on today, and I don't knock it. It's just not what I'm used to. But he's the greatest mind that there is because, yeah, he, he lost a lot of talent to a bigger checkbook than Ted Turner, but he kept going. He kept going. And when he got those four young lions with WCW, let Benoit, Guerrero, Malenko, and Saturn go, it's like, are you crazy? Man, you don't see the value on those guys. And Vince, he showed you what those four could do. And off to the races they went. And what's crazy is Dean, even through all his health issues, he's still in the business. Dean's still working. Yes. And I didn't know that. I had a friend tell me that last year. And I was like, oh, my God, that guy's had been through hell health-wise. And he's still in the business somehow. Well, he comes from good stock. His father was Boris Malenko. So, yeah. 
he definitely knows uh, what it's all about. And he's had so many, and that's what's so crazy to me is like that. There's a lot of people within the wrestling business that don't want to acknowledge that the wrestling business causes health issues. At Vince, especially, it doesn't. Well, see, I mentioned uh, Evan Ginsberg, the producer, co-producer of the movie The Wrestler. I wasn't in it. It was supposed to be, but it didn't work out. But I did work with them on it, with Aronofsky and Evan Ginsberg. We sat down. We had a good meeting. And You're credited on IMDb as being in it. Well, they put me they, – they put the uh, – the poster up there but when you read it it's as a thanks a special thanks for when my contribution to it is what it is so they just list everything that you're associated with that's how their page works but with uh evan you know he's always off to the race and he's a great friend for 30 years wrestling mind he knows everybody but he's always beating on vince that he doesn't have pension plans he doesn't have hospitalization and it's like evan I'm an independent contractor right now in things that I do. I don't walk in a door expecting that people are going to change and give me, they're going to write me bigger checks because they feel sorry for me or they feel benevolent. You know the deal when you take it. Yeah, Vince has got a thousand dollars more, millions than most people that are his big stars, but don't you make the deal? Yeah. Is it legal? Yeah. Then what? You got nothing to talk about. Now, That's... the law is starting to crack down on them a little bit, and I don't think it's going to be too long before they do. Well, because because here's the thing. A lot of companies are changing now. There, okay. WWE is one of the few companies left that will sign you to an exclusive you-can-only-work-here deal now and still call you an independent contractor. Well, the Screen Actors Guild does that. And it's like, I don't understand why you would stop me from getting work wherever I can get work and of course they say, well, it's for your protection. And it's like, I pulled shits because you don't get your cut just like everybody else. So it's like, I'd like to see that happen because there's many projects I have to walk away from because of my union affiliation. I'm proud of it. I'm glad to be a part of it, but it's like, why, how in the hell in the United States of America can you stop somebody from working? I don't get that. It's so wild to me because here's the thing. AEW, say what you want about him. I like him. I like the guy that runs it. I believe in what he says. He's he's Tony Khan is the most honest wrestling promoter we've had in this country in a long time. Because sure. his wrestlers are employees. They're his employees. They're not independent contractors. He gives them health insurance, and he lets them work wherever the hell they want, as long as it's not for Vince. We'll see. That The point I had brought up about Ted Turner, it was a show not too long ago, and I brought up if Turner had the passion that Tony Khan has, they would still be in business. But it's just like, okay, here, I throw money at it, I rub my ass in Vince's face, and that was it. And it's like, well, okay. Then you see what happens when you're not watching the store. See, with Vince, there ain't a damn thing that happens that he doesn't approve or doesn't know about. Everything, and that's how if you if it's your money, and it's your baby, that's how you have to take care of things. It's kind of like uh, stocks for people that invest. If you don't watch your own portfolio every friggin' day, shame on you. Because these brokers, they don't give a shit. Yeah, they you pat you on the back and they tell you they have what they're gonna do. They're gonna do. 
this, they're going to do that. But then when the bottom falls out, they tell you, well, you know, the market's volatile. Uh, you know, this could happen. And it's like, no, you know what? That's on you. It's your money. You watch it. It's not that hard to do. If you don't have the time, leave it the hell alone. Because when it's gone, it's like the Cadbury Easter egg commercial. When it's gone, Easter Bunny's gone, they're gone. Boom. Yeah, it, it's so crazy to me that there and Cornette said on a podcast recently, and I'm not a big fan of Cornette. I've had Kenny Bolin on this show, who's also not a big fan of Cornette. I just think Cornette's out there in the way that he talks, but I think he's a little bit on the extreme side. I've heard he's a nice guy. I've heard he's... I like him a lot, but he's a wild man, for sure. I've heard he's very personable, but he's very out there. But... He's certainly fun at parties, I can tell you that. (laughs) Well, he's just fun to have uh, any place. Uh, He can light the room up, but he's knowledgeable. He he does think, though, that Tony Khan should have never been in the wrestling business and this, that, and the third. It's like, that's not really your place to say if he's got the money to do it. He's there, right? So if he wasn't supposed to, it, he would fail. That's another issue when people talk about like Vince and things like that. Hey, who's putting the money out there? If they weren't making money, okay, wait a minute. Let me, let me go back a step further. We always get into this battle of superstar Billy Graham, who I loved. I thought he was a great champion, great heel champion. It was, as I wrote in the book, my favorite time in the 70s, because all of our favorites were getting title matches. And Bruno San Martino, the man that superstars stole the belt from, actually it was better with Bruno chasing him all over the East Coast to try to get his belt back. And that's how we looked at it, Bruno's belt, that that was magic. It really was. But there are those that say, well, Vince senior dropped the ball. Superstar should have been made a face and he could have gone on and feuded with Koloff and this. And it's like, no, that was not the working formula back then. It wasn't going to happen because we as fans would look at him and like, well, how do we trust this guy now? You know, they did it with Pat Patterson and that was a great move because Pat's turn from heel to face came against Lou Albano, who everybody in the world hated back then before he did the Cindy Lauper thing and MS and, you know, God rest his soul, loved Lou. He was always a great mentor and got to know him. So he was a nice guy, but as a fan, we hated his guts. And if you just want to sell the building out, just put Bruno chief, Pedro Morales, anybody in the ring with Albano, you can give everybody else the night off. You've got to sell out. So if things don't work, because they talk about back when they had to pad the card, it's like, no, they padded the card every month because it was Madison Square Garden. Which is hard to sell out in the first place. Well, it was WrestleMania every month there. And no, it was never a problem for them to sell out. They always did. But it wasn't that they were padding the card for anybody. It's just that was the nature of New York. And their shows, because that was their Black Friday, too, every month. Even though you had Phil Zacco running Philadelphia, Baltimore, Washington, and doing his thing. And then you had guys up in Boston. They were all under that umbrella, but they had their own little thing going on. Like, people didn't realize in Baltimore, in 1973, Bobo Brazil was carrying the city. Pedro was not drawing that well. So, you know what, Pedro? You're going to stay away from Baltimore for a couple of months, and we're going to give it to Bobo because we always loved him there. 
And then we had Tanaka and Ernie Ladd feuding at both heels at the time. But unless you were in Baltimore and this was pre-internet time, nobody knew that. So everybody did their own little thing, but you still had to answer to the big bosses because if it wasn't drawing the money, I don't care if it was Backlund. I don't care if it was Bruno. If you ain't drawing, you're out. They got to make, they got to put the money in the cash box. Otherwise, no go. Something people have said, and I guess I've never gotten to ask anybody this because I've never, I don't think I've ever had anyone on the show that met him. A lot of people say Vince Sr. is the man Vince Jr. wishes he could be in terms of his integrity and the way he worked with other promoters and things like that. I don't know. I, I think he, I know he loved his father and, uh, certainly learn from him but he went in his own direction i don't think he wanted to be like him i think he couldn't wait to get a hold of the reins and go in his own direction which is exactly what he did and i didn't like it at the time i still don't really like it but i did come to realize one thing it had to change because the old formula that they had our people that we cherished, our heroes, our legends, were getting older. So that wasn't going to work anymore. Now, the way he did it with basically a closed shop and raiding talent, I think that really hurt things. And knocking that, promotions off television. and Yes, that hurt the fans because now a heel, the face change, just it happens all the time because they got nothing left and it means nothing. Whereas, excuse me, whereas with... Uh, when Spiros Arion did it, the Bruno and the Chief in 1975, it was earth-shattering. It literally, there was, Arion was stabbed. People would just, Nikolai would tell me stories how people would attack him when he was one of the Mongols when they first came to the East Coast in 1970. We'd never seen anything like that. When I say we as fans, I was still a kid and it was like, wow, these guys are huge. But they are strange because they had the pigtail and the animal furs from Mongolia didn't speak English and they were brutal. But you believe and when you believe the passion comes out, that's like Blackjack Mulligan when he got stabbed up in Boston in 1972. The guy came to the arena with the knife because he dipped it in pig fat because he wanted an infection to set in, which it did. Mulligan really had troubles. He was out of action for about three, almost four months. And Gorilla Monsoon saved his life because the guy just ran up and stabbed him in the thigh and he hit an artery and it was bad news, I tell you. But things like that were common back then. Attacks like Freddie Blassie lost the sight in his eye because he got a hit in the eye with an egg up in Boston. Somebody threw it. That's why they put the screen up and the netting in Boston after that. But uh, it was serious business back then. Today, eh, it's like a movie. After it's done, they turn off the television and say, okay, let's get a pizza. What are we going to do now? Whereas back then, man, you lived that shit until the next show, until the next TV show. and There's crap. only really one guy left doing that, or at least trying to do that. There's one guy in the entire wrestling world that's living their gimmick 24-7 now, that's keeping kayfabe, that's doing all that, and it's MJF and AEW. This guy keeps his gimmick everywhere he goes. Good for him. Yeah, I have to do it. Be it's 
that's that's the true meaning of what wrestling was the mystique now i gotta admit look ben there is a big problem today of course you've got the net and you've got all these outlets you've got texting you can talk to like information gets leaked out before it even finishes coming out of somebody's mouth and it's like whether it's true or not who knows right you can't compete with that whereas we were of an innocent age where unless you had a friend in another city God forbid if you got caught making long-distance telephone calls because they were very expensive and your parents would kill you, literally kill you. It was like you were in the dark. The only thing you knew was what you saw on television or you saw at the arena. There were no sheets even. They oh. didn't really come around until I think here, like 1979 or 80. I think the Observer was established in 81. Yeah, well, there were a couple others before him, smaller ones that would just send results out. I'm not sure when he began, but the first things that I have, I know, and I still have all of mine. There was something called Wrestling Exchange by Gary Mancuso out of Florida. It I was like that one. There was a newspaper format, and then he changed to a magazine. Now, I loved it because it was just like, wow, results right down the line, starting January 1st and whatever time frame that issue covered. That was great. See, like, uh, with Apter's stories, whatever his publication was called back then, we loved the photos. They were great. But the stories were bullshit, horseshit stories. I mean, it was fantasy land. But wrestling review, the ring wrestling, wrestling review, things like that, they just kind of, like, describe what was going on. They give you the facts, like Jack Webb used to say, just the facts. So that's was something that we really cherished. But it, again, with Afters magazines, we loved the photos because uh, we didn't know what was going on in other places. See, we didn't have cable in Baltimore. So New York was lucky. They had Madison Square Garden Network. They would pick up LA, a couple different things. And that was great for them, Florida even, but we didn't have that. So we were in the dark. So, and I like that. I think that was obviously the regional thing was never going to stick as technology evolved in the seventies and eighties and early nineties. When did you know, Oh shit, this regional thing is dying and we're screwed. Well, I kind of figured it out in 1984. I did enjoy the Hulkamania spin, but you got to remember Sergeant Slaughter was on fire with the iron sheik at the time. So everybody, Pat's Hogan on the back, but you can't leave the Sarge and the Sheik out. They were selling buildings out on their own. Yes, sir. And then when they brought Nikolai and the Sheik together, and you got to remember Piper and Orndorff, that was all big stuff. People forget how much of a ticket seller Piper was. And that's what's crazy to me. People now don't talk about Roddy Piper. And I tell people when they ask me, oh, you know, what's your thoughts on Hogan? I'm like, Hogan doesn't happen if you don't have Piper right before him. You know, your words were said by Paul Warndorf before the Hall of Fame ceremony in 2005. I was lucky enough to be there. And that was all done for Hogan with Stallone. So all of his big heels were inducted as well. Nikolai, Sheik, Piper, Warndorf, Orton. So no other face was there. Everybody else was heels. And Orndorff said it out in the back before everybody began. And he said to Nikolai and myself, he's like, 
Hogan wouldn't be shit without the heels. We made him who he is. And he wasn't happy when he was saying it. He was pissed off. He was still in pretty good shape. I think he was ready to clock him. But uh, he was right. And Nikolai said this many times, too. He said, you know why Hogan did get over after a while? People feel sorry for the heel. Hogan, he kill everybody. It's like, yep, it did make sense. Because in that first year, and Evan Ginsberg always brings up the point. It's so true. Hogan didn't hit the garden every month like Bruno, Pedro, Backlund, where the superstar, every month the champion was there defending the belt. Hogan didn't do that. They kind of handled him like Andre in different, you'd get him a couple of months and then you'd pull back and then he'd come back again. But that didn't make any sense because Hogan wasn't going anywhere. Andre was. He wasn't going anywhere, but I think they realized his routine gets old quick. It's same shit. And it's like you put Hogan in the ring with Greg Valentine, who could do, he did an hour with Backlund, and every match was just a masterpiece. But with Hogan, it was shit because he's too big. What the hell is Valentine going to do with a big guy like that? You can't work the legs. Legs are too big. Uh, everything is, and he's towering over him by three or four, maybe five inches. It's like, this doesn't look good. This isn't right. See, like Bruno was not a tall guy. He was very wide. He was like a gorilla. He was very strong. Pedro wasn't a tall guy. Backlund was probably the tallest out of the face champions, but he was around probably six, one and a half, but he didn't look big. He looked like a skinny kid, but yet he was very strong. So the idea was you overcome good evil overcomes good overcomes the evil. So the smaller guy is going to beat that monster. Like he'd bring in Ernie Ladd, who was a giant blackjack mulligan people like that and it got over george the animal steel he was the same shit with george Steele too like i'm talking about hogan but we loved it because you watched his his match may have been all the same but what he did in and outside of the ring wasn't that he was a crazy son of a bitch and we ran He'd look in our direction, and we climbed over each other to get the hell out of the way because he was a crazy son of a bitch, and we believed it. And earlier, like he, earlier he, this past week, I had Rob Hochman, former creative member, on, and he said the same thing about Cena. He got old quick, and they probably should have done the same thing that they did with Hogan with Cena. Of Cena does the same fucking thing every time, but people love him. Now, see, they loved him but they loved Bruno. Bruno was no technical wrestler. He was good. He I thought was... Bruno was better in the ring. From what I've seen of Bruno, Bruno was better in the ring than John. Now, Bruno did have wrestling, without a doubt. He, he could wrestle. But that man was truly loved. And anytime, like the Larry Zabisco feud, shush, that's got to be the greatest of all time, bar none, because it had history, legitimate history. It wasn't just a couple of bullshit teaming up on television and then they turn on each other. Now, Bruno brings the guy in in 1974. That's his protege. He goes on and on and on. And then in 1980, bang. Actually, end of 79, Larry comes back. And then it's like, he's different. You know, something's different about him. And then he does the turn on Bruno. And it was like, wow. Because I think Larry tells the story many times, running for his life. 
and the threats and things like that. It's like till this day, probably for some crazy old bastards that still carry the torch for the real wrestling. And it's like that's a man that was loved in Bruno and Chief Chief J Strongbow. You do something to them. You did something to our family, and we hated you, and we weren't going to let you get away with it. And we helped them anyway. See, back then, too, you could get up close to the ring. And even though I'm telling you stories earlier where people stabbed with knives and crazy shit like that, you know, it wasn't too out of control. It, it, you were able to touch people. And that was, in itself... It was kind of like kids going to Disneyland, even though they would see they, the characters are in costumes and bullshit like that. But with us, we're actually seeing our heroes and in cases our hated villains. But it's like, wow, when you look at them and you can actually touch them, it's like, shit, this is incredible. And then they would do the great thing with the lighting, too. They turn down the house lights and turn on the ring lights. And, man, it was just magical. What? Now, we talk a lot about, you know, the greats of back then. Afa and Sika can't not get mentioned in all this because they were. Oh. And yeah. it's funny because their family lineage is still going. Look at it. Roman Reigns is the top guy right now. Yes. And when they, you got it. It starts with Peter Maivia when he hit in 1977, the Paramount High Samoan Chief. And he was very popular. Of course, he comes in with the tattoos from his waist down to his calves. It was, you know, legitimate. He had the Samoan chief ritual done, and it was like, wow, this is impressive. But he was popular, very nice guy. I mean, when I say nice guy, I never got to know him. I visited his grave when I was in Hawaii because uh, respect, I was there. But you could talk with him. And when outside of the ring, he lived it as well. But everybody that knew him, like he was good friends with Strongbow. And he said, oh, yeah, he was just a, a great guy. He said, you laugh and just always having a good time. People like that it started the Samoan lineage. You know, he was first. And then when the Samoans came in the end of 79 and 1980, they were just like, wow, tag team extreme. They had to compete with the Valiant Brothers as far as the bar. Tanaka and Fuji as well, they they were almost one-year champions. The Valiants almost one-year champions. So the Samoans, they were right up there. But then for the May 19th card in the Garden in 1980, they put the three Samoans together. Maivia was already gone out of the territory, but they brought him in for a special MSG appearance teaming with Afa and Sika against Patterson, Rhodes, and Ivan Putsky. And it was, uh, wow, that's it, that's incredible. Or it was a Patterson, Atlas, and Putsky. And it was like, man, that's that was shocking. That stopped the world that day, too, man. We loved it. So, yeah, the Samoans just uh, on. And then the Tonga kid, his run with Piper. And it was like, people forget about that. Tonga kid doesn't get mentioned enough. And it's crazy because not only is the whole high chief Peter Maivia line of Samoans still being carried on and up for the Federation or world wrestling entertainment or whatever you want to call them, but Jacob Fatu's got the belt over an MLW. Like they're everywhere, man. It's not just, everybody thinks, Oh, every Fatu and that whole line is just Vince. 
Jacob Fatu had every opportunity to go to Vince. Look at the guy. He's an old-fashioned, big mf'er who looks like he could beat your freaking ass. And guess what? He probably... <laughs> chances yeah. are, he could. You gotta be believable. That's it. Or forget about it. Nothing's gonna work. So, like Nikolai used to say, if you don't believe it, nobody else is gonna believe it. And it's the truth. So, you gotta carry yourself. And when somebody's, like you're saying, that kind of size, it's like, whew, you got the real deal, daddy. I don't know if you've ever seen Jacob Fatu, but he looks... He looks like... He's about the size of Afa and Sika in their frickin' prime. Yeah, I've seen pictures. You know, they used to come to the arenas without shoes. And I'm talking in the summer, the winter, whatever. It's like, what the hell, man? These guys are crazy. But And the things they would do, it's all out there on in videotape land. Diving off the top rope with the headbutts and all the falls they would take. It's like, man. You know, they they definitely, they captivated us. It was tough to find a team to compete with them and beat them. And then they got Putzke and Santana. They put them together because nobody else, everybody else was just falling short. They tried the Nucci and Rene Goulet, and that was okay. But because uh, Tony Gurria was out of the area, he didn't come back until almost the end of their run. And they quickly, and I say quickly, threw him and Rick Martell together on television for one taping. And then they exploded so well that they rearranged the card for the November 8th, 1980 Spectrum show and put Gurria and Martell against the Samoans. And they took the belts and it was like, well, that was a smart move because obviously that's another one of the greatest teams of all time. They were so damn popular. Yeah, the, the women went nuts for them, but we liked them as high flyers, and yeah, we we were very lucky. And, I'll say that. And yeah. people from the South, or guys that got into the business that grew up in old Southern territory, say, oh, that New York shit was so blah, and it looks like... <laughs> Listen to Cornette talk about WWF in the 1970s and 1980s. He craps all over it. Listen to anybody from down there talk about it but i've watched tapes from both the southern territories the northern territories i'm only 22 i didn't live through any of this stuff so i've had to go back and find old stuff which i've done because in order in my opinion in order to enjoy something you have to have respect for what came before it yes and it's tough to get a feel for that but you you have an idea but i did hear Cornette one time talk about strongbow and he didn't disrespect him which he wouldn't he said, uh, you know, I, and his opening, it was, I'm, I'm not bad-mouthing him. He said, but I don't get it. He said, but I look back and I watch, and all he does is throws the chest out, and he dances around the ring, and the place pops. He said, we got guys beating their brains out, and people are yawning. All he had to do was just throw a look in somebody's direction. He said, that's mastering your craft. you got to give the guy credit. That's what the hell the whole show is about. Not to get out there and kill each other, which is stupid, because you definitely can tell who doesn't work every night. Because when they go out there and they're doing all this high wire shit and they're pummeling each other, it's like, well, I know you don't expect to work tomorrow night. That's for damn sure. But it's go out there, let the people enjoy themselves, put on the best that you can without, and you take care and respect your partner, which... I don't know. I've seen too much on the independents over the last couple of years where 
I call it a lack of respect while you're not selling. It's like, you're not supposed to be Superman. You're supposed to be believable. So if I hit you, go down and stay down for a while. If I beat you with a finisher, don't just get up and walk off to the dressing room. Sell it a little bit. Your back hurts, your leg hurts, whatever. And that's why I have so much respect for, um, and I know Cornette hates him, but that's why I have respect for Omega. The guy sells like an MFer. Right. And people talk about his match with Jungle Boy earlier this year. I know you probably didn't see it, but Jungle Boy is only 24, 25, but they're trying to build the kid up. And they put him in there with Omega, who's obviously their top overlord of whatever. And what Omega did for him was he sold his ass off. He was bumping his ass off for the kid to make him look to make him look good. Because sure. Jungle Boy came in as this skinny little kid. He's beefed up a lot since he's gotten there, but he came in as this skinny and he's still not a big guy. He's just not a big guy. It's just how he's built. But he's believable in the sense of yeah, you know, him and Omega are believable. They're about the same size. He's a little shorter, but you know, he's built well. And Omega went in there and he bumped his ass off. And Jungle Boy, his finisher's called the snare trap. He locked him in it. And Omega sold it like hell. Which is, and that's what I've always said. And because I've heard that from people, you know, that have been in the business. It's if you have respect for who you're working with, everybody else in the back's going to respect you a whole hell of a lot more. Amen. That says it. That's about the bottom line to it. Because if I shit in your face, while we're working together, it's like, come on, man, that's not the way this works. Because this guy, you know, you're killing him, you know, you might not like each other. You don't have to like everybody, but you should respect everybody because you're all in the same boat and nobody's getting out alive. So make it work. Respect the business. And that's why when you see people especially the old timers before they get in the ring, they are not wiping the debris off their boots. It's the respect for those that came before them, before they step into the ring. That's why they're doing that. And I don't know if you see that today or not. Christian still does it. Christian cage. Very good. I don't know if you ever got the opportunity to meet him or not, but Uh, the tall guy with blonde hair. There's two tall guys with blonde hair. Oh wait, that's edge. That's it. The Christian. Yeah. Yes. I, uh, he still does that thing. You know how he'll stand on the apron and he'll like wipe his feet or whatever. He still does that. Very good. Um, he doesn't do it as much because they've had to rush his entrance because the AEW puts so much on their TV. They get so much into their TV that he kind of has to, you kind of have to go, 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 go. Well, if the ratings are keeping up, then what the hell go for another night? The station will love it. Well, there are people that think the station isn't loving it because they're not doing a five and da 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 da. You're not going to do a five in today's climate on television. You're not doing a five point oh. You're not doing a four point eight anymore. You're lucky if you get a one point seven in wrestling now, because that's just where we're at. And not to mention back then there were fewer TVs and homes. So. Oh yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, and they weren't color, believe me. I didn't get in my house. We didn't get one until 1972, and that was a big deal. It really was. That was your centerpiece of the living room. That right. was a big piece of furniture back then. So, you know, you look at that, and the appreciation 
of the fans. See, again, it's like the friggin' media. Bad mouth, bad mouth wrestling, bad mouth events, bad mouth this, bad mouth that. And that gets in people's minds. That's why I, I'm trying to be careful. I like Vince McMahon. I've said this a hundred times. He's one of my favorites because of growing up listening to him. Many Great commentator. Him. Underrated as a color, as a play-by-play guy. Oh, in the 70s and early 80s, he was the best. Even better than Gordon Soley. Because it's just sounded like I, I was lucky coming from Baltimore. We had a guy named Chuck Thompson that broadcast the Orioles and the Colts and Kirk Gowdy, people like that. They're just describing the action. They're not selling it, which overselling. They're not doing the carnival barker kind of thing. So it's like, yeah, Vince was great with that. And he knew when to take the pitch up. And, you know, he just, he was a great fan himself. I think he still is. And that's what Shivani is is and was so good at back in the day. And Shivani's still, in my mind, one of the best commentators going. And I watched just about everything. Shivani still got everything he had at his peak. Now, he was never an A guy, Tony Shivani, for WCW. But I think the best commentator who I've heard in my lifetime from present day is Mauro Ronaldo. I don't know if you've ever heard him, former boxing commentator. He's so intentional in the way he says things. Right. And I think there's something to that. I think there's something to being intentional in how you're saying it. The delivery is important. It's like an actor. It's how you deliver the lines. And if you don't do that, it's not going to ha- it's not going to land and it's just a waste of time because now all you're doing is reciting. And again, when I talk about describing the action, that's good. It's not just, well, okay, now he's got a headlock and now he's got a leg lock. The way you make it so nonchalant and normal, that flows, that's perfect. And then, well, because back then too, in the 70s and early 80s, a match had a progression. You didn't just go out there and start flying all over the friggin' place from the get-go. So it was like, okay, so the announcer, he's able to get a beat himself as he's describing the match because it's meeting its own pace and then boom, there they go. And the people are behind it. It would be my wife who didn't really get to experience it back then. She hated it. She thought it was silly, but then when she got to be with me then she got the love for it and understood it. And she says, I'm so jealous that I never got to be, in those arenas like you were at that time because when she sees the crowd reactions it's like that had to be incredible i said it was it was absolute swept away and all these bullshit politicians all these bullshit people these activists and all these idiots you know what what wrestling it was the greatest catharsis known to man you walked in the building everything was left outside we were all one people, all one family, everybody. And that's what AEW is trying to do is they're trying to bring people together. And Tony Khan said it on a media call. I can't remember when he said it. Oh, God, it had to be a year or two ago now. He said, we're trying to make people forget about the outside world. We're trying to bring people closer together. We're trying to entertain. We're trying to show you that, hey, you know, we know what's going on in the world is scary right now. But, you know, here's two hours just enjoy the show and 
involve yourself in it, watch it, enjoy it, and just forget about your problems for a little while. And that's what, and I think he said that towards the beginning of the pandemic. Very good. That's what it always was supposed to be. And that's why it was so not protected. It was, even though it was protected, the business was protected in its own right, but it, it was, they understood their responsibility, the promoters and the people at the top. We've got to deliver. That's why they always wanted good to triumph. Sometimes it got a little old. Especially guess, with Hogan. <laughs> well, then there you go. Then they turned the tables a little bit. And you had this, you know, the reformer. You know, he used to be managed by Fred Blassie. He was a big heel. Now he's all this happy-go-lucky guy. And it's like, yeah, okay, whoop-de-doo. And it was exciting with the eye of the tiger. And here we go, before copywriting really took a, a bite out of people's ass because that was great to have him come into the ring under eye of the tiger you can't do that now because and they've dubbed over it on the network and yep and yeah the wwf thing it's like holy shit you can't even say the f now and it's like i still say the f i wasn't even alive and i still say the freaking f you know why because everybody i talk to still says it you know what, though? I'm glad because they should have never dropped the one W. They should have left it Worldwide Wrestling Federation because that, to me, that had more impact. I, I don't know why they did that. Why they I, dropped the Triple W? Yeah, I have no idea why that came about. Probably a pain in somebody's ass typing, printing, where they said, they get rid of one of the friggin' W's and be done with it. But it's probably something that's stupid why it was changed. and Because it would have never had to change had they not. Right, exactly. I but, would, I'm but, surprised they didn't go back to the three W's when they got that lawsuit to the worldwide. I'm surprised that's not just what they did. If you look at that way, the things were at the time that that was been so easy to do. Yes. Good point. Cause I remember the first time I saw WWF with the Panda bear and I'm like, what the hell is that? And it's like, Oh, worldwide life federation. I gotcha. Okay. So where do they wrestle? Where do they have their wrestling at? Australia or something? It's like somebody said, no, idiot. That's animals. It's like, oh, okay, well, whatever. Wrestling was there first, but I come to find out I was sadly mistaken. They weren't. Well, I would have just gone back to the three W's, but here's the thing. Vince doesn't want to admit he's in pro wrestling anymore. Yeah, I know. Which Which is why we've stopped actually covering Raw and SmackDown on this show. Because it just pains me to watch it now it's just like oh god because there's just raw's three hours all right and it's just it goes on and on and on and it would be one thing if the booking made any sense whatsoever or if they were even trying but they're clearly not and it's just like uh. even if it's it was great like in the old days where i talk about it it's too long. Three hours is way too fucking long, and people are going to get disgusted. Even movies. I mean, we've had some all-time great movies, Ten Commandments, things like that. It's like, it's too long. People, they're, they're starting to like, man, when is this shit over with? You know, I want to do something. I want to eat. I wanna, it's like, you can't make it too long. It's not going to work. You watch a Raw, which I don't encourage anyone to do, and that's the part of the reason I cut it is because I don't like negativity in my wrestling because I think wrestling is an escape and I don't like being negative about it and I want to enjoy it which is why I said you know what we're we're just going to cut WWE forget it you know we'll go back to it when they get a little more uplifting in the way that their booking is presented and all that 
and I still cover AEW because I got a lot of respect for a lot of people there. And I got a lot of respect for their owner. And I got a lot of respect for TNT for letting wrestling back in. You know, look at it that way. TNT, Turner could have said, you know what? No, we did this wrestling thing once. We don't want anything to do with it. But they didn't do that. They saw something that they liked and were like, you know what? Let's go with it. And you know what else they wanted? They wanted the ability to call on an original series. I guarantee you that. Because there's something to that, right? I've said this many times. Professional wrestling is the longest running reality show in the history of television. And that's what it is, too. Yes, that's exactly what it is. And it began when television began on the old Dumont Network. It was one of the first things that was on television where the people was able, the rich that had it in the beginning were able to turn that baby on. Pro wrestling was there. Dennis James, a longtime uh, game show host, Steve Allen. These are famous names for people back in that era. They were wrestling commentators. And you look at it. It, the history of wrestling is so awesome to me. And I'm, again, I'm only 22, so I didn't even see the Attitude Era. But, like, when I was very young, I fell in love with this, and I never stopped. I stopped watching WWE for a while, but I, even when I wasn't watching current product, I was still going back and watching, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s, whatever. Because, in my opinion, once you get the bug for this thing... You're not getting rid of it. No matter how bad you might say, I'm fucking done with this shit. You know, it's bullshit, whatever. Nope. You're always going to come back. You're always going to, even if it's not current, you're still going to be like, oh, I want to go watch this match from, you know, this show on this date. And you're going to go find the clip of it or whatever. Or if you have the tape, you're going to go find the tape and you're going to pop it in and you're going to forget about everything for a while. And you're going to watch the show. You're either going to love it or hate it. It's whoever I still said, go watch Crockett's stuff from the 80s. Of course. Why wouldn't you? Because Crockett at the time probably had, in the mid-80s at least, 85, 86, probably had the best product. Whoever quoted, it's like trying to tell a stranger about rock and roll. Same thing with wrestling. I can't explain it to you. If you don't get it, you're not going to get it. And Either you like it or you don't. <laughs> you're not going to. No, you either love it or you don't, because this isn't something you just can be casual with. You go crazy. And, you know, for a while there, you always get the disclaimers. Don't try this at home. Well, no shit. It's just like watching the, the Roadrunner and the Coyote. It's like, you know, don't do that shit, dummy, because you can end up dead. You ain't got to get up and be in the next scene. It's crazy. But people do things. And then it started to get a bad stigma. And it was like, oh, see, that violence it promotes other violence. No, it doesn't. I can't say I didn't wrestle in the backyard on my buddy's trampoline. Of course I did. <laughs> Everybody did. And when you left an arena, that's all you'd see. Mock wrestling moves all the way to this bus or wherever you were going. It's like, yep, it was in your ass. And that was it. Boom. You get the bug. It doesn't just die, brother. It's there until you're dead. (laughs) Yeah, my wife has succumbed to that. And it's like everything I do, everything that I reference is a part of it. And I'll tell you what, I think it's great, especially when you have kids 
in school that get involved in wrestling programs before the pro involvement. But when you get into it's great character builder, discipline, training, you there's nothing like it. And I'll tell you what, Ben, I'm I'm a prostate cancer survivor. So I always like to get that message out for the men, get tested, the blood tests, that's what saved me. And the doctor that was treating me when he saw some pictures in my briefcase when I was trying to get paper out there. And he's like, what is that? What is that? And when I told him, he ran around the office in the building showing people screaming and hollering. He was a wrestling fan. Lawyers, politicians. Like when I was in the police department, I got into wrestling and I had to get permission because it was considered a secondary employment. And my boss looked at me and he said, are you serious? I was like, oh, yes, sir. And this is legitimate. And he said, well, I'll sign this under one condition. I said, what's that? He said, I get to meet Nikolai Volkov. I said, oh, absolutely. I promise you we will make it happen. And Nikolai was that kind of guy that uh, he, it couldn't be better. Couldn't have been a greater human being. But everybody, every walk of life, you go into acting, a set, people hear about wrestling, here they come up, they, they got a story. And it's great. And it's always nice. That's why with my book, When It Was Real, and that is uh, now out right now, correct? I got that right. Yes, yes, when it was real. It, uh, I'm not going to be a millionaire. Like Scott Teal told me, we don't do these things because it's just, it's not going to happen. But we do it to preserve wrestling. We do it for the respect of the sport. And when I see people's comments that, gee, this takes me back to being in front of the television with my father or at the arena with my grandfather or whatever, it's like, that's what we wanted. We wanted you to go back in time. And I don't know if you've seen the clip, but CM Punk's return a couple Fridays ago on Rampage. It felt like the 80s again. I, I, I didn't live it, but the clips I've seen, it looked like an 80s arena again. The way they were going, there were people in the crowd crying because this guy just walked into the building and everybody knew what this meant. And... It was it was just that moment that I had never gotten to experience because, again, I'm only 22. Nothing like that had ever happened before. Nobody had ever gone away for seven years and just maligned the wrestling business the way he did and then said, you know what, it's time for me to go home. It's time for me to come back. And we were sitting there. I'll never forget. I had two friends in from out of town. One of them isn't a wrestling fan. The other one is as big of a geek for it as I am. And we were all sitting around my TV and we were just with bated breath. Even the guy who's not a big wrestling fan got interested. Do you know why? Because me and my buddy, me and my co-host, who unfortunately couldn't be on this interview today, me and my co-host were sitting here staring at the television like, what's going to happen? Is he coming out? What's going on here? And then, and then his music hit and we... I jumped out of my chair. My co-host dropped his jaw. I couldn't freaking believe it. We were just like, holy shit. And then they show the guy crying. I don't know if you've seen that at all, but there was a guy. There was just a guy who was just clearly like it broke him because he was just like, oh, my God, because they were in Chicago. They were in the they were at the United Center in Chicago. You know how big that place is. That place is massive. It was sold out and he wasn't even announced. It's in your fiber, as we've been describing. So when you, it's not just 
wrestling, it's usually tied to your life somehow. And that is what triggers the memories because the day my son was born, uh, he got, it was 2.15 in the afternoon, boom. I said, okay, the mother's fine. I'm out of here. I got uh, tickets for everybody. It was billed as the greatest show in the history of the Capitol Center. I got to go. I'm going to wrestle. Boom, out the door I go. And I had the program and I got him a copy one time. And he said, dad, that, that's wild. <laughs> you know, uh, I can't believe you did that, but I guess it meant that much to you. I said, well, yeah. I celebrate your birthday, but I also celebrate that part. And it was like, yeah, it coincides. Because you know, some people with your life, some people have wrestling weddings and things like that. But I don't know if there's ever been a wrestling funeral yet, but uh, maybe I'll be the first. I'd like to see it if it has been done. A wrestling funeral. Just, just out of curiosity, what the hell did you do? <laughs> did you have a match? I've seen wrestling gender reveals. Did you see that? Where it was a guy in pink tights and a guy in blue tights and they had a ref. And it was like actual indie guys that were in there working. And they were working a decent match, too. Like, it wasn't, it clearly wasn't amateurs. It was guys who'd been trained, like, clearly. I don't know who trained them, but whoever it was was decent enough. And they had a match. And the guy in the pink shorts won, so they were having a girl, and they had, like, the pink, you know, like, the pink almost um, dust, like, the dust that you throw up in the air, like, celebration, and they had, like, confetti or whatever, and I'm just like, there's wrestling everything now in there. And people say, oh, the business is dead. No, it's not. It's no, and it's not cyclical, because I used to buy, not just me, but I was a group of people that we would buy tickets for the next show the night of the previous show oh i we did had, that i've done that for wwe now yep we we had no idea who was going to be on there but we knew it would be great and we wanted to be at the best seats possible and it's like it's not cyclical it's in part of our routine of what we do and what composes us and i really believe for a lot of people it molded their life it it's something you carry with you from if you mostly the faces not too much with the heels but it defines your character and you do what's right and you do it to the best of your ability and i'm not to describe training techniques because i don't want anybody to get hurt but sometimes it makes you go a little bit harder sometimes it makes you do a little bit more and you actually can compare and say, well, what would Chief do? What would Bruno do? And what would Backlund do? And it's like, you know, then you go do the right thing when you're out there in the world. It, I don't get it when people say, oh, you know, there won't be any pro wrestling in 10 years. Yes, there will. For as long as there's going to, for as long as there's human beings, guess what else there's going to be? There's going to be some form of pro wrestling. The, the cavemen were doing it. It'll be all right. Yes. It'll be a thing until everyone is dead and gone and the sun explodes. Like. <laughs> I'll tell you, you maybe think I'm crazy, but one year the wife, she wanted to have a wrestling Christmas tree. So we had these figures and on top of it, she put a ring, one of the WWF rings. So it's like, yeah, that's cool. So one night and I got it on tape, there was a spider. I'll be a son of a bitch. He's on top of the ring post and he's like, 
I said, look at that. Even the spiders performing in the damn ring. Everybody gets into the act. It's crazy. Uh, I I just don't get the... I get the people that are negative towards wrestling that don't love it. But the people that love it, I don't get the... If you don't like what's going on, don't watch it. It's that... it, And that's why I stopped watching WWE. It, I didn't like what was going on, so guess what I did? Well, now see, what I say in my book, the intent of this book is not to degrade or compare the two eras of wrestling, but simply celebrate the joy we experienced as we cheered for the good guys and razzed the heels. And it's like, yeah, I'm not knocking because when you step through the ropes putting your life on the line, your very life and your body. Because let me tell you, you ain't getting rid of this body until the day you die. And it comes back and knocks on your door starting around 40. It says, hey, idiot, remember what you did? And each year it gets worse. Look at Randy, though. Look at Randy Orton, Cowboys kid. He's still going. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you take care of yourself... And when I say take care of yourself, when you're in the ring, and sometimes like Gorilla Monsoon used to say, there's two ways to land, lucky and unlucky, and that's very true. And sometimes it is the luck of the draw that you survived and you're not a cripple. But, you know, sometimes, too, if you don't act like a complete nut and try to do stupid things, you won't end up all smashed up like you were in a car wreck. So it's, it's a fine line that you must walk. But... You know, when you get out there and you're entertaining a crowd, sometimes it gets the better of you and your common sense slides at your ear and then you do something that you're pretty sure you'll regret later, but you say to hell with it and you do it anyway. And it's like, oh boy. Have you, have you ever heard the story? Uh, it was WCW and they were having a cage match and it was just this rancid match. It was the cage match that you had to escape the cage, but there was a roof on the damn thing. Mm. <laughs> and Demott and Mysterio are on top of the cage, and I guess they had a cue for if Demott had the courage to go off the cage. And it was telling Mysterio, get out of the way. Well, thank God Rey Mysterio didn't hear Bill Demott, because Bill Demott got... I'm not a Bill Demott fan because he pulled a gun on talent he was training, and I just don't think that's right. Ooh. And he said... Get out of the way. And I don't know if you've ever seen Bill DeMott, but he's a bigger guy. He's not, he's not in great shape. He never was. This is when he was Hugh Morris in WCW. And he said, get out of the way. Ray didn't hear him. Get out of the way. Ray still doesn't hear him. And thank God, because Bill DeMott would have died. <laughs> because it's not like now where the announce table would have been right there. No, there was nothing there. <laughs> and you know what? You do that shit, and people today, they say, oh, it's a big phony, big fake bullshit. They don't believe it. But they, he would have killed himself. Where years ago, they did a lot less, and people believed it more. So it, it doesn't make sense. It's, it's like, I don't know how Mick Foley lived when they, threw them off the, when they threw him off the cell. I don't know. And again, you know, people probably think it was some kind of cushion he landed on or something. It's like, no, he didn't land on a cushion. No. I think he wishes he did. <laughs> I guarantee he does, but it's like you can't change people's minds. Now the wrestling fans, yeah, they loved it. They were involved in it, but 
Although, like we're a piece of the, I think there's a pie and we're probably two slices of a pie. And the rest of the world is the rest of the pie and they don't care. They don't get it. And they just, they badmouth it so much that. My roommate used to badmouth it. And then I moved in with him and I showed him some old stuff and I showed him some stuff and I just started showing him old, old crap basically that I just had laying around because I'm a geek for this stuff. I've got stuff sitting on my computer that's from 1975. Like, Good. I've just got... I have a whole hard drive around here somewhere. I don't know where the hell it went. I wish it did because it's got a couple things on there that I actually want to watch, including the original not-network edit of... God, what what was it? It was either Mania 3 or Mania 6. I, I can't remember which one, but it's an unedited version of it because, you know, it's all edited to crap now and... It's production city, sure. But I have the original, like, it was, because I I was at a garage sale, and somebody had the original VCR of it. And what I did was I converted that VCR into a DVD, and then I ripped that DVD onto that hard drive. And I was, I would watch that thing with my life because Mania 3 is as good as people remember it being. That that was a very well-produced show, if you remember. And it went off without a freaking hitch. Yes, the Andre Hogan match was rough, but he still had Savage and Steamboat mm-hmm. to look at and say, hey, you know, they, this is still one of the best WrestleManias, period. And there's no questioning that. And I don't get why people say, oh, you know, this Mania was better than Mania 3. Like, okay, yeah, maybe then it was, but Savage Steamboat is one of the greatest matches of all time, even now, and... I've seen a lot of wrestling. I I tell you, you just enjoy it. Don't argue about it. It's like politics. I beg people, please don't argue because it's all the same bullshit. It's like wrestling. Behind the curtain, they're friends. They're all rich and we're not. Not that they're all rich in wrestling, but the politicians are. I said, it's all the same bastards, so don't fight about it. And that's why I tell people with wrestling, don't argue about wrestling. Please don't disrespect it. Love it. Appreciate it. Your era is your era. Mine is mine. And respect both sides and be happy with it. And, and I have a lot of respect for people who can look at it and say, well, maybe it's not for me, but I can see where somebody would like it. Yeah. And that yeah. that's kind of how you are, I think, from what I've heard from you is just absolutely. I might not like it, but if somebody does great because i don't want the business to die right no matter and because i look at the kids that today are watching and they're mystified it's like well that was me and again you know people would say oh well why you watch that shit why you do this like because i love it i i can't explain it the first time i watched it boom it just got me and i was gone so i see myself and those kids i don't follow it but Hey, I'm glad it's there for you. Enjoy it. And I have a, I have a weird wrestling story, and this is the story of how I got into wrestling. It's really short. My dad hated wrestling. Always hated, hated, hated pro wrestling. And he's like, "This is bullshit." And he'd say stuff that I'm not even gonna repeat on here. And it was just, just basically bashing everything to do with pro wrestling. And I said one day, because I was seven or eight years old and I'd just gotten a TV in my room, and I said, you know what? I'm going to see what this old man is talking about. 
And in an act of defiance, I fell in love with pro wrestling. And you'd say, oh, it was probably just a phase. Well, I'm 22 now. I have a podcast about pro wrestling. I have a hard drive sitting around here somewhere that has almost 800 gigabytes of pro wrestling on it. I don't think it was a phase. No. No, it's definitely an obsession. And that's where the word fan comes from, fanatic. We are fanatics, without a doubt. And it's like, and I told my dad, you know, because again, I'm seven or eight years old at the time, right? You think. Well, I didn't go back that far, so I'm impressed. It's like, you know, and I kind of got my dad to change his mind because he he saw how much I loved it. And I think he kind of, he kind of accepted it for what it was at that point. But you're lucky, mine never did, and he just left me alone. Well, he'd voice his opinion and be done with it. But my grandfather believed it hook, line, and sinker, even the television matches. He didn't realize they basically were infomercials to get you to the arena. And he'd come down cussing and hollering because he had his own little apartment on the third floor. He'd watch his, sometimes we'd watch the other. He, why they put those big bastards in there with those little guys? That ain't right. It's like, well, they're trying to build him up for the arenas, Grandpa, but you don't get it yet, so okay. Did he ever get smartened up to... No, God, no. I was lucky enough to... Because he never wanted to go to the arena. He never... He, he worked hard all his life. He was a welder. He didn't like to really get rid of his money. I was lucky enough to show him a Madison Square Garden cable show. And I, 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 that man, I thought he was going to stroke out. He was just going crazy. And I was glad he got to see some of the best because, you know, he was an avid television watcher. So it's like, you know, you're not going to get a lot from the TV matches. Again, they're just trying to lure you to the arena shows. Which or now is- the pay-per-views. Yes. So it's like he did get to see, he got a bite out of the best. So I was happy for that. Were and I provided it too, so that was good. What did you think the first time you heard the idea of a WrestleMania? Well, I thought it was great, except for Mr. T. It's like, what the hell is Mr. T doing in there? And and a lot of people didn't like it neither. But then I understood years later that it was they wanted Snooka and Hogan, but they weren't sure of Snooka's dependability. So it's like, all right, we'll put Snook in the corner. We'll put the celebrity in there. And, you know, that will help draw. Because Vince had every dime on the line. If that failed, he failed. Because you got to remember now, this was closed circuit still. It wasn't, you could go to, you know, right to your living room. You still had to go somewhere to see this. And now you're actually wanting people to go watch a television or a movie screen to watch wrestling. That's a little different than going to an arena. So it's like, hmm. I, I mean, big respect to AEW. Not only are they offering it on pay-per-view, but they're letting people go to theaters for their uh, for their pay-per-view Sunday. That's an interesting concept. Because here's the thing. The theater concept of wrestling never really died. Even before the pandemic, theaters were doing big numbers with their pay-per-views. There were theaters that were still showing WrestleMania until the pandemic hmm. because because WWE will license it out to different theater companies or AEW will license out to different theater companies. 
this is the first time AEW has done it, but you know. And that's a tough situation too, because they take so much money from you, the theaters, when you put a film in there, you know, it's kind of like people don't realize when you go shopping for whatever brand you're buying, they have to pay that store to put their merchandise in there. It'd be like, well, what the hell? It's a store. They got it. It's like, no, they do compete. So the same thing with the theaters, just because you got a movie doesn't mean they're going to put it up. They got to review it. And then they say, okay, I, they take a big bite out of your ass. And I know that from personal experience. How much is it? I've heard as much as 60 to 70%. They bite right out of your ass. 65. Uh, yeah. It's a lot. I mean, <laughs> you better believe it, daddy. But then you go and the Coke is $15 and a cup popcorn is 10. And it's like, what the hell? They never stop. It's just, money changing hands so does the sag have anything to do or can they even negotiate with the theaters about that or is that so oh, no, that's got nothing to do with them that's whoever the owner of the movie is they deal with that but you'd think there'd be something they could do about that 65 percent. that just seems really high no they wouldn't have any because they don't represent producers and their and directors they only represent talent producers are on their own and it's their baby. And it's kind of like, well, it's your property. What do you want to do with it? You want it in my theater? Here's my terms. If not, you can go show it in your basement. Get the hell out. And that's pretty much what they're up against. Well, that's what Netflix has done so well, I think, is they're paying a lot of money to a lot of different places to make content for them. Well, Vince, for a while, was making a lot of movies straight to DVD. and They, they sucked, but he, he was doing it. Right, but he was smart, too, because whatever you got to make, it's yours. It's you know, a little production cost, but it ain't like you're going to lose this amount of money to the theater, so it's well, good. Well, Ben, I got to cut you. And I was about to say, I think we're about out of time, but Nikita Bresnikov, it has been an absolute pleasure meeting you, sir. I would love to have you back. Please, and the same here. I've enjoyed it. We uh, talk wrestling. <laughs> it can't get any better. And, you know, I think it comes a lot from we both have the same freaking obsession of just the business and we're all a bunch of bastards. We all come from different parents, but we're all the same kids. Let me tell you, it's like, yeah, we're all little kids, man. When that television comes on or whatever, it's like and right, you hear the bell ring. Run. Life, <laughs> life is good. Thank you to our loyal listeners. I thank you every time we're on here because we would not be here interviewing people like this without you. Have a great rest of your day, everybody. See you later. Bye.